Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is our passage right now in the book of Ephesians. I will start reading in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Today we're going to talk about verse 2, so let's read it together. 1, 2, 3. In which you used to live the ways of this world, come on, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So let's just pause here. We're talking still about the bad news. Last week we talked about being dead in transgressions and sins, but we also learned about being made alive in Christ. Now we're going to learn about the ways of the world. You see it right there in this passage, the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. So this is some serious stuff right here. Verse 3, I'll keep reading. All of us, somebody say all of us. Thank you, all of us, that is every single one of us, used to live among them at one time. Who is it we lived among? Those who followed the ways of the world. Those who were under the power of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who were disobedient, we were those that were disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Somebody touch your flesh. That's got some cravings, doesn't it? And you got some flesh right here that may have been craving a whole lot, you know. We're always trying to lose it around here, aren't we? But that's a good illustration of what your flesh desires, and we'll learn more about that. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and what? Thoughts. Point to where thoughts come from, please, up here. So not just uh, desires of the flesh like desires for food and sex, but also thoughts, thoughts that can become those uh, temptations in our life. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So what did you deserve because of the, the way that you lived before? What did you deserve? Wrath. And if you're not born again today, if a person's here today and they haven't been born again, what do they deserve? Wrath, right? So anybody who thinks that God is unfair, they don't understand the Bible. Let's just pause here just for a second because sometimes people have a problem with hell. Hell bothers people. Why would a good and loving God send people to hell? After all, he could have made it a better uh, world for us not to have so much temptation, right? So now he puts us in a world of temptation. We make the wrong choice, and he goes, you're going to hell. Doesn't sound like a God who loves, right? People will say it like this, I don't even treat my dog that way. I won't say to my dog, here's the dog food, or here's fire, you know. Like, if you don't eat the dog food right, I'm going to push you into the fire. You know, we wouldn't torture a dog like that, they'll say. But here's the problem, they don't understand what God did when he created us. So at least, this is what I say to the skeptic, if you're going to try to take the Bible and now thump me on the head with it, you know, because you feel like you've been getting thumped on the head with it, at least read the Bible first to understand it, because you may make a fool out of yourself. You may not know what you're talking about because if they get the concept of hell from our Bible, then they need to actually understand why it's there. Because if they just pull it out of its context and then start saying, I have a problem with hell, they're not letting the Bible speak for itself. The Bible is very clear that God's intention was for us always to live in a garden. His intention was for us to have a perfect life and a perfect relationship with him, perfect marriage, a perfect relationship with our spouse. Can I hear an amen to that? A perfect relationship with our children. That was all God's intention. But God did not choose to create robots. You have to understand that. So when people say, why didn't God create a different world, what they're basically saying is, why didn't God create me without choice? Because if God would have wanted you to never sin, what would he have to take from you? The choice to sin, free will, exactly. So now this is what we can ask the person that gets sassy about hell, that says, why would God do all of this? Because God wanted to give you a choice. Do you want him to take it away from you? Do you want to become like the computer, the robot, where he just programs you? I program now you to love me. I love you, God. I program you now to give me a hug. Oh, God, I give you a hug. Is that what you want it to be? You would be a robot. You would be a mindless drone. So God in his infinite wisdom had a choice. Create robots, no evil, no problems, everything's always going to work out. Or create free will creatures where they may choose evil. And out of that evil, they will suffer. But here's the point. They also miss in the narrative of the Bible. But I will suffer more. Think about your suffering just for a moment. Many of you don't put it back on God. You don't understand the big picture again, even here. And so we're not explaining it right to the world. 
Let's say someone has had the worst possible life ever. Like just draw out in your mind the worst possible life. Let's say they're born crippled and so they don't get to enjoy their limbs and they don't get to enjoy the ability to move around, okay? And as well as being born crippled, they're also abused. And they're abused in every possible hideous way, sexually, verbally, okay? And then not only on top of that, they also live a long, miserable life, maybe in severe poverty. And they're also so maybe disease and say maybe they live 120 years and now we would all say that is the worst possible situation to have happened to a human being and why would we say that has happened because when Adam and Eve sinned that was their choice and the consequence was a cursed earth a cursed body a cursed uh, society all of these things right so we say God did not bring the evil, but he allowed the evil. So think of the example like this. If I go outside and it's raining and there's uh, and I have no umbrella, I can't get upset about the rain. I get upset that I don't have an umbrella, okay? And so if God said, here's an umbrella, you'll never get wet. Here it is. You'll never get wet. You'll always have it, uh, have a dryness. But if you throw off the umbrella, whose fault is it now that you're wet? Okay, whose fault is it when you get wet if you throw away the umbrella? Your fault. So God says, here is perfection. As long as you choose me, you will never suffer the evil. You will never have darkness. You will never have physical deformity. You'll never have, I'm not saying physical deformed people are that way because of personal sin. We don't believe in karma or any of nonsense like that. But I'm just saying because of the curse upon the earth. Are you listening? The same reason why I wear glasses is the same reason why people are born sick. Children die. Are you listening? This is real deal here. It's a part of the physical decay of the human body, okay? Now watch. We now look at that child or that person who has lived 120 years in the most miserable circumstance you can possibly ever draw, born crippled, and then abused sexually, mentally, uh, abandoned, sick, and then lived a long, miserable life. Now let me ask you something. Did that suffering, did that suffering have an end? Yes. How many lives did they have to live? Just one, right? Now, in that state, what lesson does God teach them through the pain? What pain, what purpose does the pain have? They learn that the world is not their home. They learn that on the inside, there's a yearning for more. C.S. Lewis said it like this. If I was uh, brought up on an island and I never knew what water was like and, and someone would give it to me and then leave and give it to me and leave and then like, you know, kind of like it's an experiment and then eventually I get old enough to make my own decision but I don't know what water is but I've been given, to it, given enough to live but now it's taken away. On this island, what is that person? going to begin to do. They're going to begin to crave water. They're going to begin to search for water. And if they go to the ocean and drink salt water, they'll know that water is not the water they need. They'll spit it out. They will crave and desire. And that crave and desire will lead them, what, to a stream. They'll finally find it and they'll do it and they'll drink it and they'll know that's what they need because they were made for water. They were made for water. They will discover what they're made for. This is what C.S. Lewis said. Why is there an inside of us a person on the inside of us that's always craving for love if we weren't made for love. If we were just animals meant to live in the zoo, why is there a part of us always craving for it? And then when we take it in the wrong way, pow, we spit it out and go, no, 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 that's not the way it's supposed to be. See, people say morals are relative until you step on their foot on the bus and then they tell you, I don't like that. And then if you say, well, I'm just doing me, well, stop doing you on me, you know? Everybody says live and let live until somebody does what they don't like. Because we know we're supposed to have real morality. When we get the bad morality, it tastes bad. We know we're supposed to be healthy and live forever. We feel like we're supposed to live forever. Nobody wants to die in that sense. But why is it all of these wicked things are opposite of our tastes and desires? And one way, and one way of thinking, why do we keep going to the ocean when we want the stream? And the desire inside of us shows us that we were made for heaven. We were made for pure water. Are you listening? Now, now watch this. Now watch this. You have this person who's lived this long life. Now watch. Jesus comes from heaven to earth, dies on the cross. What does he do on the cross? Takes our sins. Isaiah 53 says he takes our sins, takes our sorrows, and he takes our sickness. Now watch. Jesus downloads that person's pain. Does it stop there though? No, Jesus takes your pain, your pain, your pain, your sin, your sickness, your sorrow, past, present, future, the entire world. Who suffered the most, you or Jesus? Who can say, I know your pain? 
Jesus, when he was on the cross at three in the afternoon, what we now know in technology with servers, Jesus did spiritually. He downloaded the sin, the sorrow, the sickness of the entire universe, and God turned his back on, the Father turned his back on the Son, and he said, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he experienced the worst suffering of all, the suffering of being cut off from the presence of his Father in which he had been in from eternity past. So now do you understand hell? Hell is this. Hell is us making a decision to go where God never intended us to be. It is now a choice for you to decide, do you keep your sin? Do you keep your suffering? Do you keep your sickness? Or do you put it on the cross of Jesus by faith and say what he did was for me? Then you repent for your sin, get born again, and have eternal life. To say it like this, there will never be one person in hell that did not choose to be there. Every person that goes to hell will have worked to be there. We will see them on judgment day. Sometimes people ask me, what about those who have never heard the gospel? Don't worry about them. You're hearing the gospel right now. Okay? I'm just going to say that one more time. Let's talk about Burton never heard the gospel. Let's talk about you hearing the gospel right now. We'll talk about the what ifs later. Let's talk about you just right now. I got plenty of time to talk about that on another day. But you're hearing the gospel. You're responsible for it. What is your choice, right? And then people ask, what about the children? The children, the kingdom of God belongs to the children. Jesus said, let them come to me. The kingdom belongs to them. So we know, and we could put those who are born mentally handicapped with the children, so there will be no innocent in hell, and all those who are there will be there because they chose to be. They chose the cravings of their flesh. They chose to follow the ways of the world. It was their decision. And when the gospel came, they chose another way. Now, how many want to choose the gospel? Now, I just read that, I gave you that whole illustration to help you understand by nature you were deserving of wrath. If you got any questions, see the pastors that stood up here before you. Okay, I tried my best to explain to you what it means that by your nature you deserve wrath and I deserve wrath. Verse 4, somebody say, but. Amen. But because, amen, I'm so glad that that is here. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So you see there as we talked last week, how we're made alive in Christ is by the death of Jesus, by the mercy and love of God. Our transgressions didn't stop the love of God. He could deal with our problems. We have problems, yes, but we have a problem solver, Jesus. We may have sickness problems, we may have sin problems, we may have sorrow and pain problems, but Jesus is the problem solver. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So how does this all end? This all ends with us ruling and reigning with Christ upon the earth, being trophies of grace. And he actually does it for a thousand years before he recreates the whole earth. So for a thousand years, the children of God actually rule and reign with Jesus with a humanity that stays here. So basically, those who have survived Armageddon stay here, and the children of God rule and reign with Christ. And guess where the devil is? He's in a pit right in front of New Jerusalem. You will literally be able to go see the devil in a pit like you would go see something at Disney World. And why does that happen? Why does this happen? This thousand-year reign, us being trophies of God's grace, is to show off God's incomparable riches of, of, of his power and grace. That's why he does it. So think about this. While we're living with Christ for a thousand years, literally, he will look at the devil and say, See, you thought you could get them to turn on me. You thought you could get them to serve you because you'd give them more of this or more temporary pleasure. But they served me even like some for that 120-year life in a miserable condition because they realized that the choice that they had made in the garden was wrong and every pain had a purpose and they turned towards me. So for a thousand years, we rub it in the face of the devil as we go to New Jerusalem to worship our God, rule and reign with Christ. We are the trophies of grace that show humanity can make the right choice. We were born to make that choice. Amen? And now verse 8. For by his grace you have been saved through faith. How have you been saved? 
By grace through faith. How have you been saved? By grace through faith. Is it of yourselves? No, it's not from yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God. So God has given humanity a gift of salvation, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So are we going to do good works as Christians? Absolutely. But we do it after we're saved. Many people think you have to do good works to be saved, and that's why they're never ready to get saved. And the devil puts them in that kind of that mindset. I got to change, man. I got to change myself, pastor. I'll, I'll be at church when I'm ready to change myself. And it's like, you'll never be ready that way. Here's how you come to Christianity. Deny yourself. That's the first thing you do is deny yourself, take up your cross, have a spiritual death, and now follow Jesus. So put your stinking thinking to death. Let's try that today. Amen. All those who say, I can't, you're right, so now stop trying, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Well, it's so hard. It's impossible. It's not just hard to live for Jesus. It's impossible. I'm glad you realize that. Now commit spiritual suicide and now follow Jesus. Stop doing the self-help with your spiritual mindset of, I can do it on my own. Have the spirit. And I say suicide in a respectful way if anyone has suffered loss that way. But listen to me. What you are literally saying when I deny myself and take up my cross is, spiritually, I am bankrupt. I am poor in spirit. The only way I can live in this thing is if I die first. That's why he said, count yourself crucified with Christ. Have a death now that you can live forever with Christ. The Bible says those who hold on to this life will lose it in the end. Those who let go of it now have it in the end. So, so what I say, and I'll even speak on this because I know suicide is an epidemic in our culture. You see, the people who deal with despair and all of that, they may be seeing some things that the average person doesn't see. Maybe they realize that life is short and we're just but vapors and no matter what they do, it doesn't really last. Well, there's a lot of truth in that, isn't it? But then what happens is the deceptive brain messages send them towards despair and say, well, there must not be any purpose then. I, I'd be better off dead. And that's not true. What should the person realize? Realizing the end of all he or she can do or seeing the meaninglessness of life like, like Ecclesiastes talks about, what should they do with that mindset? They should deny themselves now and see it is true. It's not about me. It's not about my cantaloupe-sized brain. It's not about temporary pleasures and accomplishments. It's about the glory of God. And in there they'll find life. So die to self and live for Christ. Can I get an Amen. Amen. Thank you. Here are the five messages we're going through. We've talked about last week, dead, uh, born dead but made alive with Christ. Today we're talking about the ways of the world versus the ways of God. Next week, the cravings of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. After that, cursed by works versus saved by grace. And then God's masterpiece. How many believe you're God's masterpiece? Amen. Let's get into this passage now. I hope that you understand it better as we're reading it. Take time to read it this week. Let's start with that first part that he talks about, the ruler of the age. He says there's a ruler of the this age. And I want to tie this together with other scriptures of the Bible. Look at what Jesus said in John 12, 31 and 32. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He says he's going to drive out the devil. And he calls the devil the prince of the world. Paul tells us in Ephesians that until we're born again, we're still under that kingdom of that prince. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now go and make disciples. How many know discipleship's important? Discipleship is transference of kingdom, taking you out of the prince of the world, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light under Jesus Christ. Some of you like science fiction. That's cool. The greatest truth is better than science fiction. It's better than science fiction. We've always been attracted to, as people, the stories of good versus evil. And so whether it's, uh, you know, you going into the Lord of the Rings, which, by the way, was written by a Christian, whether you go there and you see Bormor, uh, Bormor, he's that guy that has that red hair, and he holds up his hand, and he says, one does not simply, and then they usually make these memes out of it. But look at what Bormir said. He said, one does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. Those are those crazy-looking creatures. There is evil there that does not sleep. And the great eye, Sauron, is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland riddled with fire and ash and dust, the very air you breathe. 
is a poisonous fume. It sounds like the writer of Lord of the Rings is trying to describe the prince of this age. Every time we see evil in this world, even in science fiction, we understand there has to be good. <coughs> Excuse me, there has to be light. Light conquers darkness. And we see Frodo and Samwise Ganji, they conquer Mordor through their simple act of humility. And so the question is, what conquers the devil? What conquers the prince of the age? It's Jesus. So you can look around the world and be distressed. You can look at yourself and be depressed. Or you can look to Christ and have your soul at rest. What do you want? Do you want to be distressed by the world, innerly depressed at your own inner world? Or find a soul at rest in Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul said again in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So are we in a battle right now? You better believe it. When you talk to people about the gospel, does it seem sometimes like their minds are blind? They can't see the truth? You see the glory of God, but they don't see anything. Why? It's because it's like you trying to explain Mount Everest to someone who's blind. It's like you trying to describe a red rose to someone who's never seen the color red. You know it's real. You know the rose is beautiful. You've smelled it. But if someone hasn't and now they tell you you're lying, are you at the mercy of their argument even though you have an experience? No, the one with an experience is never at the mercy of one with an argument. You can say, I've been there, I've smelled it, I've seen that beautiful, uh, the top of Mount Everest or smelt that rose. And so people may see, say to you, well, I don't see the gospel. I don't see Jesus. Maybe he doesn't exist. Maybe the gospel is not real. And you can say to them, no, I've experienced the power of the gospel. I've seen God change my life. And the reason why you can't is because you're blinded by the God of this age. There's not multiple gods. It's just a pretend God. And the sad thing is, is that people are playing make-believe with the devil. The devil convinces them that there's another way to heaven other than the way of Jesus Christ. Or the devil convinces them of these different ways of living. And the truth is, they're blind. If you were put into solitary confinement, into a pitch-dark cellar, if you scribbled on the wall, there is no sun, would that take away the sun that we all see today? Plato talks about people living in a cave, never seeing the sun, and coming out to see it and trying to describe it to those who have been in the cave their whole life. People today are scribbling on the walls of their darkness. There is no God. There is no freedom. There is no help. And all of us out here are saying, yes, there is. And we're praying that you see it as well. We see in that same passage, once again, look at what Paul said, that he's the prince of the kingdom, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And he's the spirit that's now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, when we talk about spirit, we don't mean that every non-Christian is demon-possessed. What we mean is team spirit. How many know if you were at that last Cubs game when they got whooped like they stole something? How many know, man, they got beat bad, didn't they? 11 to 1. They started sending out the Bat Boys from the L.A. Dodgers. They were saying, hey, Bat Boy, it's your turn now. Go ahead. You've been with us long enough. You can have a shot at this. They called back the celebrity that threw out the opening pitch and said, you can throw now. We're good. I mean, that's what it felt like, right, watching that game. It was just horrible. Well, how many know there was a spirit in the stadium? No one was happy. I'm sure as they went out, nobody really looked at each other, said anything. Maybe as they went to the bar, they were a little bit more agitated. Hey, man, give me some space, you know. As they were in traffic coming home, maybe honked the horn a little bit more. Woke up the next morning with a bad attitude. But what if they would have won? What difference would that stadium have felt? Everybody would have been shouting. It would have been so exciting. People would have been high-fiving strangers. Would have been taking out the guy at the bar next to him. Hey, man, I got this drink. It's on me. See, what changes that? The win and the loss and the spirit that was over them. So what do we mean by spirit when we look at the Bible like this? Yes, Satan is a spirit. He can only be in one place at one time. He's an angel just like any other of the angels. He's not at all present. But what it means is we get his attitude. He's a loser. And so his people start thinking like losers. And they start having the mindset. He's perverted. They have the mindset of perversion. He's angry. 
He's racist. He wants to divide humanity against each other. And so this is what the people are like who follow him. Does that make sense? They're all losing. Now, we're not better. We're just better off because of what Christ did. Can I hear an amen? Think about the ways of the world. First John, this is what the ways of the world are like because it says we all follow the ways of the world. Do not love the world, 1 John 2, 15, or anything that is in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Do you already see right there? You can't have, one, you can't have both. It's one or the other, either the love of God or the love of the world. For everything that's in the world, he's going to list the three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, does not come from the Father, but is from the world. The ruler of the world loves that, and he promotes that, and his spirit brings that. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Can I hear an amen? Can I tell you what the lust of the flesh is? This is what the Bible says flesh is like. You have flesh, and your flesh has cravings and desires. As I said last week, if I took you to Baskin Robbins 31 flavors, we may all choose different ones of those flavors today. You may choose, you know, a chocolate chip cookie dough with a little bit of Oreo ice cream. Someone may get my least favorite out of all, which is what my wife always loves to get, and it repels me ever taking any of her ice cream. So if she never wants to share, all she has to do is get mint chocolate chip, and I will never touch it. It's like, not you. That is all you. You may get mint chocolate chip with some cotton candy like my kids do and gummy bear vanilla, whatever weird thing they're making now. My kids put it all together and eat it, right? So we all have different flavors of our sin, but tell me where your sins are here because I, I guarantee you we'll get to some of yours, things that you desired in the world. Watch this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, Galatians 5.19, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, if you said, Pastor, I didn't see any flavors on there that I like, I want to say, liar, liar, pants on fire. You know there's flavors of sin up in here you like. And if you say, Pastor, you know what? I only do these every now and then. I just want to ask you a question. If you were hanging from, uh, say, the Willis Tower right now by, say, 10 links of a chain, 10 links, you know, linked together, and one of them broke, would you fall? Would it matter which one of the 10 links broke? No. So if someone is here saying, I do orgies, Pastor, I need to get saved, okay, that link of the chain is going to cost you to go to hell. So you need to get purity in your heart. Now, somebody may go, man, pastor, I don't do orgies, man. I'm just selfish every now and then. I'm just selfish. If they think they're better than the person having orgies, are they biblical? No, because if they had that chain up here that was called the chain of selfish ambition, that breaks, and they weren't being selfless in life, it doesn't matter because they're falling down just as sure and just as fast as a person that had the orgy chain break. Do you all get that illustration? These are the deeds of the flesh. That's what your flesh desires. What does the eye desire? Look at the lust of the eyes, Proverbs 22, uh, 27, 20. Death and destruction are never satisfied, neither are human eyes. They're never satisfied. Those of you who did pornography were on that. You know what I was talking about. You know what, we're not, what I'm going to explain right now. You, you know how real this is because it wasn't just like as a little kid, you looked at one centerfold and were like, I'm good now. I've seen a naked body. I'm good. No, you had to keep seeing naked bodies. You had to keep seeing naked bodies. Come on. Those of you who get into things like cars, I could just show you a car right now, right? And be like, look how awesome that car is. Will you be like, I don't need to ever look at a car again. No, you'd say, now look at this car, now look at this car, now look at this car. Hey, ladies, if I said, here's one pair of shoes, would you all be like, this is good, I'm good, pair of shoes. I've seen one pair, I'm good. And some fellas, if I said, here's just one pair of shoes, because I know fellas now that are obsessed with shoes. Not going to point one out, but I got one on the front row. He's trying to pretend. He's trying to pretend. If I sold you one pair of shoes, would you be like, oh, I'm good? No. One outfit? No. Even good things like, and those shoes and all that's fine, but even like beautiful things like sunsets and, and all of that, the moment we see it, I want to see another one. 
I want to see another one. You go to Hawaii, somebody in Hawaii will say, oh, man, you got to go to the Polynesian islands. You go to the Polynesian islands, now they'll say, oh, man, you got to go here to Thailand. Oh, you go to Thailand. Oh, no, 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 you, you got to go here to Bangkok. Oh, you've been to Bangkok. Oh, you need to go to the Virgin Islands. They will send you around the whole world, and you'll never be tired of seeing. Are, are, is, is anybody listening? Can I hear an amen? And what's the next thing, the pride of life, my way or the highway? See, many times we tell God, you take a hike, God. Why? Because we want it our way. Look at what the Bible says, Psalms, uh, Psalms 10.4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. I understand this. Everybody look up at me, please, in closing. I understand this. Most people are not even angry at God. Most people are not even you know, like shaking their fist at God today, going, God, you take that. I'm not going to church. I'm going to go to the lake or uh, hang out with my friends or go watch a game. You know what? I understand that. You know why? Because the Bible says most people aren't even thinking about God. They're not even thinking about God. Now, you may say to yourself, well, pastor, that's just because they're so busy, you know, and all this. No, no, no. It's because of pride. It's because of pride. Imagine you were at a bed and breakfast. And let's say you were from maybe a place that has hurricanes, and you were visiting a bed and breakfast, say, in North Carolina, looking at the, the foothill mountains over there. And let's say while you were there, maybe your house in Miami was now threatened by a hurricane, right? And so now you're stuck there. And let's say now you run out of money, and you say to the person with the bed and breakfast, I don't have any money, but can I stay here? The hurricanes come into my house in Miami, and they say, sure, of course, you can stay here. This is a great place. Love for you to be here. Now imagine you get up in the morning, you eat the breakfast, but you don't say thank you. Now you go sit down on their couch, you watch the TV, just, you know, watch whatever you want. Don't ever think about it. Take food out the refrigerator. Let's say you had to stay there now for three weeks. After a while, when do you think that bed and breakfast person would come to you and say, you never say thank you, you take all of our food, you sit on the couch, you act like you own the place, and you never ask us what we want to watch. It's all about you. Is this how your parents raised you? I mean, how many know it wouldn't take very long for that bed and breakfast person to do it? They would say, I love sharing this with you, but maybe just say you're thankful every now and then, right? Just say thank you. Uh, maybe ask what we want to watch, and maybe talk to us and be kind. Just don't act like we owe this to you. How many know where I'm going with this? How many people wake up in God's world today? And do whatever they want. Never say thank you. Use the gold. Use the money, the wealth of his planet. Never say thank you. Use the body, the talents, and the, the imagination that God placed in their heart to prosper. The relationships, the family, and never say thank you. How long do you think it's going to be till God says, I now know you don't like me. You don't want anything to do with me. Okay, here's where you go in the end. What is hell? a place for those who don't want to be with God. So if you die and you've showed your entire life you don't want to be with God, why should he let you in now? You never thought that he was important. You never wanted to live for him. Somebody say, help us, Lord. Amen. I want to show this to you because you are in a fight against the world. Think about the ways the world has taken down different people in history because you're in a spiritual battle right now. It's the ways of the world versus your God. Finally, the Bible says in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Who are you to be strong in? The Lord. Put on the what kind of armor? The full armor. Thank you so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not just against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I believe those are four levels of demonic attacks against us. I don't have time to talk about it, but it literally starts up at the top there, from rulers to authorities to powers to forces, and they're all coming against you right now. But you may say, Pastor, I don't feel it. I feel like everything's okay. The reason why we don't feel it is because we're in the spirit of it. Do you think the fish knows it's wet? Hey, do you think the fish knows it's wet? Most of you don't feel it because you're still so in it. You don't understand why. You don't understand why you have the thoughts the way you do. We, we, we take it to call, we, we call it our culture 
But like the example I gave you in science fiction of, of Mordor, there's an evil behind our culture that we think is so normal to us. It's water is wet, and it's wet because it's water. Uh, you, know, you know, homosexuality is okay because it's just homosexuality, and it's okay. And we just, we just think water is wet because wet is water, and we don't know really what it means not to be wet because we're always in water. And we don't know what it's like to be holy and to be pure because all we know is sin. We don't know what it's like to have our blood free of HIV because all we have is HIV. We don't know what it's like to breathe in good air because all we've been breathing in is poison. We're like those in the cave. We don't know the sun, therefore we don't know anything about the sun. You don't know what you don't know. You're fighting a spiritual battle as a Christian, though. How many Christians know you're fighting a spiritual battle? How many have felt that spiritual battle? How many of you kind of started on day one? The day you decided to get saved, there was a battle? I don't know. Did any of you get saved? Okay, how many of you felt that battle? Real quick. Within 24 hours of me getting saved, I had to start losing friends. Not even by my choice. Not even by my choice. Spiritual battle. I got up the next day. My friend needed a ride to the airport. He said he would give me some weed if I took him there because that's how we were as friends. That was his way of getting some gas money to me. He comes over to my house, you know, wanting the ride and all of this. I said, I don't need the weed. I became a Christian. I'll still give you the ride. We start arguing over the weed. Long story short, I didn't hang out with that guy for a long time. He ended up suffering a mental breakdown later on in life. Had to go into a mental ward. Come on, people, we are in a battle. And you may get some injuries in this battle. You may have some losses in this battle. But stand strong in the power of the Lord. Amen? It's not your self-willpower that's going to do it. Deny your self-willpower and find your power in Jesus. You might say, Pastor, how do I do that? I'm going to get to that part. Come on, somebody. Say, it's just the introduction. I got the first part and I got the second part. I got the second part coming right after this. People forsake God for the world. Look at what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 10. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. He's talking to Timothy, who, by the way, became the pastor of Ephesus. He says, for Demas, he loved the world. He has deserted me. He went to Thessalonica. Come on. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. If I listed to you how many people have forsaken me for the world, we would be here all day. Can you imagine Paul just sitting here writing that letter, probably with a tear coming down his eye, going, man, I had this brother in my life. He was awesome. He loved Jesus. We were serving God together, but he forsaked me. Why? Why did he forsake me? Did he want to be a Satanist? Did he start worshiping the devil? Did he want to become a mass murderer? No, this is what he did. He loved the world. He wanted his flesh to be satisfied. He wanted that Baskin Robin of sin. He was tired of living selfless. He wanted to be selfish. He was tired of always having to forgive enemies. He wanted to keep some bitterness towards the ones who really hurted him. He was tired of trying to be a goody two-shoe, be pure and holy. Hey, why not go join the party where the temple prostitutes are and the Greek pagan orgies happen? I don't know how wild that guy became, but y'all get the point. He loved the world. You ask most people why they stop going to church, don't listen to any of the first five things they list. Just go right to the heart of it and just ask them this. Say, what did you want the church didn't offer you? Well, I got offended. I got this. I, no, no, no. Don't tell me that. Just go right to the heart of it. What did you want out there that God didn't give you in here? What was it? What was it? Oh, I was dating a non-Christian, and the church told me I shouldn't do that, so I wanted to head out so I could keep dating an unbeliever. I was sleeping with my girlfriend, and they thought it was a sin, so I said, hey, only God can judge me. Right? That's what people say. Get to the heart of it. Don't listen to all the excuses. I was a backslider once, too. I know those excuses. Oh, the pastor did this. No, no, no. Just what did you want out there that God didn't have for you here? Can I hear an amen? It's tight, but it's right. How about this? People cheat on God all the time. People are like, oh, man, I'll never cheat on God. I love God. Have the little cross. Oh, I love God so much. 
Well, hold on. Let's look at what James says, James 4, 4 through 5. It says, you adulterous people. He's talking to people in the church. You adulterous people. You cheating people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes a what of God? Becomes a what? Becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he caused to dwell in us? This is the number one scripture that caused uh, Oprah Winfrey to backslide on the God of the Bible. She said, how can our God be a jealous God? Listen to it on YouTube. Look it up. Jealous God, Oprah Winfrey. This is what made her upset and she left the church. Because some people think that this is petty of God. Come on, God. I mean, it's not like you're a human. I mean, I understand if I cheat on my wife, that's a problem. But God, why would you ever be jealous of me being a friend of the world? Like, what would, what would make you jealous about me over drinking every now and then at a, at a company party? What would make you jealous just about me keeping money for myself? I mean, really, I mean, you may not like it, but why would you say you get jealous? The Christian God must be a petty God. Petty people get jealous. That's what she said. In other words, she doesn't understand the Bible. See, jealousy for God is not petty. Jealousy for God is literally the attribute of love for him and us, uh, love for us and him because he sees what we're giving ourselves to. The world is not harmless to us. Do you understand this? The world puts us under the wrath of the Father. The world literally takes us out of the place of forgiveness. When he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It puts us out of that place, puts us into the place of wrath. And he's saying, my spirit on the inside of you is so jealous for you. I don't want to see you do that. I don't want to see you go to hell. And that's the strongest word that he could use to describe it. Can I hear an amen? My God is jealous for me, and he's not petty. He's jealous for me because he knows the consequence of my sin. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Here it is, and I think my second closing. Am I my second closing now? Thank you. But this is the good part. Well, it was all good, but this is the ending, I should say. How many are happy it is ending, and that's good? All right. You, like, you want me to keep preaching? I know I confuse some of you. What am I saying? Do I want to go or do I want to stay? How many want to hear this? Can I hear an amen? Thank you. I just want to say it quickly in my notes because that way I don't have to try to say it again because I felt like I wrote this down right for all of us to hear today. When Satan tempted Eve in the garden, it was just like when he tempted Jesus. He tried to tell Eve she could become her own God, and he used the ways of the world to do it. And yet with Eve, he didn't even need to say everything. Eve did it all on her own. When Satan tempted Jesus, he actually gave him an array of temptations, each one of them fulfilling lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But thankfully, Jesus didn't do what Adam and Eve did. He actually obeyed God, and that's why he was our perfect example. So those of you who think that Jesus was not tempted like you, yes, he was. Not only in this time, but in other times. Look at what Satan says here. Excuse me. Look at what Satan says to Eve. He says, you'll become your own God. He puts that thought in her mind. And now Eve looks at the fruit that she's not supposed to eat. And what does she see? The uh, the fruit of the tree was what? was good for food. She looks at it from the lust of her flesh. How did Satan do this with the devil? Uh, uh, How did Satan do this with Jesus? He said, Jesus, you're hungry. You've been fasting 40 days. Take these rocks and make them bread. Lust of the eyes. It's pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. That's what she sees in that tree, doesn't she? What does Satan do to Jesus? He shows them the kingdoms of the world, remember, because he was given those kingdoms when we lost them in the garden. He had them, and they were his. And he says, I'll give these all to you if you bow down and worship me. The woman is looking at the fruit, and then she takes it and says, I'll do this. It's my life. It's my choice. But when Jesus is appointed, uh, given the opportunity to jump off a cliff to watch the angels pick him up like he was going to be some Pokemon star now, he rejects it. What was the difference? Everyone look up at me, please. Please be patient. What was the difference? 
between Jesus and Eve in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What was the difference? Jesus spoke the word every single time. You go through these situations. What does Jesus say back to the devil? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What does he say when he's told that he can worship the devil and avoid the cross? He said, it is written, thou shalt serve the Lord your God, uh, worship him and serve him alone. What about throwing yourself off the cliff? Jesus says, it is written. He said, do not put the Lord your God to test. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to have love versus lust, the kingdom vision instead of the lust of the eyes, and humility instead of the pride of life. Can I read these scriptures in closing? Because we need the word of God. The ways of the world versus God, your choice, what are you going to do? I'm going to go with God. I'm going to speak his word over my life. Look at what it says here. 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. But anyone who obeys his word, the love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are like him, like Jesus. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. How many want love instead of lust? So that means whatever the lust of the flesh offers, God's love fulfills and does it better. Whatever we think we're going to find in perversion, we'll find in purity. Whatever we think we'll find in selfish ambition, we'll really find in selfless living. Whatever we think we'll find in anger and hatred and bitterness, we'll find in forgiveness and compassion and kindness. Remember the example of someone being on the island. They're craving water. They know they're supposed to have it. They run to the ocean and they spit it out because that's not what satisfies They'll keep searching until they find the spring of water. Are you, are you guys getting this? Yes, your flesh has desires, but it's fulfilled in God. Let your flesh find its satisfaction in Jesus. Nothing wrong with pleasure. How many married people are happy for pleasure today? Y'all are being quiet in church. Come on. Come on. Are you happy for pleasure? I'm happy for pleasure. <laughs> I got single folk looking at me going, don't go there, Pastor. Don't talk about that right now. How many are thankful that you can buy and sell and have a job? How many are thankful that you get to do that? How many are thankful that you can have a mind to think and invent and to dream? Come on. Those are the things that God gave you. Fulfill them in him. How about kingdom vision instead of the lust of the eyes? Yes, our eyes have a desire for more. We are spiritual creatures. It is good to explore. It is good. But if you're trying to fill your soul through your explorations, you'll never explore enough. You'll always be empty. But how about this? The Bible says in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So what do you put your eyes on first? Do you put it on Mount Everest or you put it on Jesus? You put it on Jesus and then you climb Mount Everest for Jesus. Do you put your eye on the mansion? or you put your eye on Jesus. You put your eye on Jesus, and if you work hard, you can have a mansion. Whatever you have in life, you always put Jesus first and make him the center of it. He's the gear that turns your life, and you'll be satisfied in him. You'll be satisfied in him. That's why the Bible says he makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. With what I make right now, I shouldn't be as happy as I am, but I'm probably happier than most millionaires today. Are you listening to me? I'm just being honest with you. I'm happy because Jesus makes me happy. And everything that I have, I give back to him and say, it's yours, Lord. And how about humility instead of pride? Look at this passage in closing. It's very important. James 4, 6 through 10. But he gives us more grace. Somebody say more grace. How many need more grace? Okay, so how do you get more grace? Watch, he's going to tell you. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Cement yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. So do I have to go into my prayer closet every single day? Satan, I bind you. Satan, I bind you over my life. I bind you over this. I bind you over that. I, now you can if you get sassy with the devil. It's okay just to slap him around a little bit. But here's the only thing you have to do. Just resist him. Just resist him. Just totally resist him. You don't even have to mess with him. You don't even have to deal with him. Some of y'all looking at me like y'all don't believe this. Come on up here, Juan. Let's give it up for Juan as he comes to give an illustration. Quickly. Okay. Let's pretend this is pornography, and he's going to be El Diablo, and he's going to try to give me that pornography. Go ahead and try to give it to me. 
Ain't got time for you. Ain't got time for you. See, I don't have to bind him. I just have to ignore him and resist his temptation. Come on. Can I get an amen? Thank you for that acting. Now, do I speak the word to him? Yes, but I don't have to be about him focused. I'm just focused on the word, and by default, I'm against him. Some of you all get tempted the most. It's because you read the Bible the least. You read the Bible the least. You stay in the word the least. That's why temptation is like all up in your business. When Jesus was face-to-face with the devil, literally face-to-face, he just says the word and just walks away. Jesus could sleep in the middle of storms while other people were freaking out. Why? Because he knew the word. So often we're making this thing so superstitious and we're wondering why we're so like always in our head and we don't get victorious. It's because we're not understanding the simple principle. I don't have to go around rebuking every woman that I see in my life. I rebuke you. I rebuke you. I rebuke you. All I have to do is just look at my wife and go, I love you. I love you. I want you. I only have eyes for you. Do you all get that? If I got eyes for my wife only and if I love her only, then I don't need to go tell all the women, no, 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 no. They think I'm crazy anyways. But I don't have to do that. And so what's the difference? It's in your heart. One last time, let's read it. Come near to God. Somebody say, come near to God, and he'll come near to you. I mean, how much more simpler could it be? Sounds like Jesus, knock, and the door will be answered. Uh, Seek, and you shall find, right? I mean, this is just Bible principles. Come near to God, he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. (laughs) I love the Bible. Wash your hands, you dirty sinner. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. Let's do this before we go. I want to hear some of y'all wail. I'm kidding. But if y'all want to wail, I want you to wail. I want to hear you get it out. I am so serious. Because I'm telling you, because some of you guys, you understand right now. I can't go back home and look at porn and expect to be a Christian. If you got a wail, then get it out. I wanted to look at the transvestite now in, you know, Hugh Hefner was a, a playboy, has a, has a transvestite there. I don't even intend to look at these things. Don't look at me crazy. This came up on my news feed and Facebook. This is what our world is coming to, transvestite and playboy. First of all, playboy is already sinful enough, and if you didn't think it could be more sinful, now they just showed you. We just went to a whole nother level of sin. But some men are hooked on that stuff. I haven't looked at porn since 1997. Are you listening to me? That's why I talk so freely about it. Some of you got to get rid of your attitude. And you say, well, I can't do it. Well, wail and get it out today. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. What do you do when you get tempted with an attitude? What should you do? Draw near to God. What should you do when you get tempted with an attitude because your pastor is going long but you want to go and get lunch? What are you supposed to do? Draw near to God. What are you supposed to do when your spouse gets on your nerves and you want to yell at them? What are you supposed to do? Draw near to God. What are you supposed to do when you want to whip your children just so you can feel better? What are you supposed to do? Draw near to God. When you got no money in the bank but you still tithing and you feel like now you got to stop tithing so you can pay bills, what are you going to do? Draw near to God. Everything. Draw near to God. And what happens? He'll draw near to you. I just want to say this in my third closing today because it's so powerful. I really mean this because band, would you come please, and altar workers, because I feel like if we don't get this, we just heard me preach, and it's not going to change your life. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. The spirit of the world is here, but the spirit of God should be in here. What will make the difference for all of our lives this week It's if we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. I submit to God. I resist the devil. What happens to him? He flees. He leaves. He can't stay. That's what I'm going to decide to do today. I said it earlier. It's not in my notes, but it was like what I felt from the Lord. Deny myself. Take up my cross. Follow him. It's the same principle right there. Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves is the same thing as deny yourselves. Do you get it? Resist the devil is crucifixion of the flesh, and he will flee. That is you following Jesus. Does everybody see that? Let us pray before we go then. We'll dismiss in just a moment. God, help us to not have the ways of the world, but the ways of God in our heart. Think of three ways of the world right now that you want to drop. 
Come on, drop it like a bad habit right now. Drop it like it's hot right now. And repent of it right now in Jesus' name. Three things in your life you want to drop. If you are not born again, ask Jesus to come into your heart because you can't do it without him. You can't run away from yourself. You have to be able to start over with yourself, a new life. That's what it means to be born again. So if you're here today and you're not sure you've done that before, as we're praying as Christians, just ask the Lord to come into your heart. Just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Uh, make me a new creation. Those of you who already know you're saved, come on. Just What are three things you see in the world that are in your life? And you don't want them there. You want to submit to God. You want to resist the devil. You want to follow Jesus. Three things right now. I want my attitude to line up, God. I want to be patient. I don't want to be easily angered. Lord, I want to have a pure heart and a pure mind. Lord, I don't want to be selfish. Lord, I don't want to be greedy, envious. Oh, God, I just want to be like you. Now, if you're praying those things out and you believe it today, just say it like this with your hand over your heart in an attitude of prayer. Just say it like this. The Holy Spirit is in me. I receive the Holy Spirit to follow the ways of God. Say it like you mean it. I've been raised with Christ on the inside of me. I have a relationship with Jesus. Where he is, I am. And where I am, he is. Would you say that just in your own words now? He said he raised us up with Christ, didn't he? Out of his great mercy, out of his great riches. I know I've gone a little bit late. Please forgive me, but I just want you to get it today. I really want you to get it today. Pray for your brother or sister that you know may be struggling even right now or a family member. Let's pray that we all get this today. We don't have to go down the path of the world. We don't have to suffer the, dis the, the, the disgusting nature of sin. And I say that with all compassion towards those who love their sin. I know there's people who just love their sin. They, they think it's so wrong that God doesn't approve of their sin. But they just don't see it. They're blind. They don't see it the way God does. Come on, pray for two or three people you know right now that need to have their eyes open to see sin the way God sees it. Jesus, they're wet and they don't know it. They're sinful and they don't know it because that's all they know. That's all they know. They say, I was born this way, but they don't know they can be born again. They say, this is what I was taught from my family, but they don't know that there's a better way. They don't know what they don't know. A few more moments, we're praying for people in this world to come to the same God we've come to, that they'll drop those things in their life out of the same choice that we've made. They'll make because they know God loves them, has a plan for their life. Can you look up at me, please, as we say amen? I want to say this example. It's a, it's a silly example, but I think you all will get it. I was in my office working, and you guys might have seen the Facebook post, but my wife came into the office, and she goes, man, it smells in here. And I go, what does it smell like? And she said, your breath. And I was like, man, that kind of hurt. I even said that to her. I'm like, that kind of hurt, but I'm not going to get mad. But then here's the deal. I realized I hadn't brushed my teeth because I worked from my house, and I was still in my jammy jams. So... I open the window and all of these things, and I go out for a second, and I come back in, and I totally forget what she had said. I totally forget what she had said. And I come in, and I smell it, and I'm like, man, it does smell in here. But I was so used to my own stink. This is a silly example, but you guys got to track it on me. I didn't know my breath stunk. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all's breath be stinking too, and you don't know it because you used to it. And sometimes you got your jammy jams on and you just smell because you haven't showered, but you're used to it. That is what it's like out there. They don't know what they don't know. So here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, we're going to stand up. And as we stand up, we're going to stand up and we're going to say, Lord, use me. 
And when we say, Lord, use me, what we don't mean is that we're just going to walk around this world going, you stink. You stink. No, we're not going to go, you're going to hell. You're a sinner. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is lovingly show people there's some breath mints. We're going to just kind of slip them a breath mint. We're going to give them some word. We're going to maybe just come in and spray a little bit of that good stuff. We're going to start showing them a better way and preach to them with a heart of compassion because we've all been there. We were all by nature deserving of wrath. We all had the spirit of the age working on the inside of us when we were disobedient but because God is rich in mercy and by his grace he raised us up with Christ. Is there anybody on the count of three ready to stand up and say Lord use me. One, I want to see if there's any world changers, history makers, two, those who want to change the world for God, stand up. One, two, three. Come on, somebody say, use me, God. Use me, God. Use me. Use me. Use me. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Slap your neighbor high five and say, get ready, get ready, get ready to be.